Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I am going to utilize the screens quite a bit tonight, so uh, you can uh, hopefully have a decent view of the screens, uh, kind of duck in under and around the VBS stuff. Um, but we are going to utilize the screens quite a bit tonight, so some things that will be a help to you, um, some things uh, we want to make sure that are abundantly clear. If you want to take notes, it'll be there. I did not have a printout uh, because I feel like sometimes when we have a printout, uh, I talk and people just look at the printout the whole time, uh, which is not a bad thing, um, but sometimes I feel like having our eyes up and our brains engaged more than the blank on the paper uh, is, a, is a good thing to have. Now, that being said, I've had a couple of people ask if there would be notes available. If, if we did want that, we could produce something uh, from the message tonight pretty easily uh, that we can make available probably on Sunday without much of an issue. Uh, but we're going to start tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Of course, 1 Corinthians is the book that, that we are preaching out of this year. We're going verse by verse, line by line through this book. We're going to revisit a couple of verses we preached at uh, last month. We're going to begin in verse number 9. And so I'm going to ask if you would, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? And uh, tonight, uh, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. And it's kind of going to be our place to jump off. And then we will jump into the sermon from there. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. In fact, why don't you read these verses in unison with me? Paul wrote, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Father, we love you. And tonight I pray that as we consider these truths together, Lord, truly there are some things about this day uh, that are difficult. Difficult for those of us who know you and love you and, Lord, want to live in accordance with your word. But Father, I pray that you would help us tonight to see the clarity of your word and the clarity of your call to us as believers. And help us, I pray, to take heart in the reality that the darker the night, the brighter the opportunity for the light to shine. Help us, I pray, as we look into your word tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, I've titled the message... Being a pure church in a perverse culture. Being a pure church in a perverse culture. If you like it, you can make it more personal. Being a pure Christian in a perverse culture. Being a pure home in a perverse culture. But however you slice it, we're called to be pure as Christians. To, to be holy as he is holy. And our world is about as perverse as it can be. You know, you look at the world today, and I think we can all agree that there is a powerful public push in our world to legitimize just about every form of sexual expression imaginable. The effort really has been made for decades 
to normalize. It started several decades ago with different pushes here and there, really uh, finding its footing by, by beginning to normalize different, uh, different sexual expressions and homosexuality on TV. They put the character here or there, the scenario here or there, and little by little they would normalize this deviancy within the culture. And so in that time, our culture has moved from legitimizing it to lauding it, and now they seek to actively promote the legislation of these things in just about every arena. Let me show you some things. We talk about how the world has worked hard to legitimize all manner of sexual deviancy. If you look at the statistics, now these are government statistics. You can go ahead and put that up. Hopefully you can see some of that. Uh, but this is what you'll find. The silent generation, those people are not young anymore. The total number of those people, according to government statistics, who identified themselves as LGBT was about 1.7% of the population. The baby boomers. We got any baby boomers in the house tonight? A couple of us. Yeah, not me. I shouldn't say us. Um, baby boomers, about 2.7%. Gen X was about 3.3%. Millennials, about 11.2%. But you see the last one, Gen Z? This is the generation your children and grandchildren are growing up in. They self-report 19.7% of them identify as some form of sexual deviancy, LGBT, whatever. 19.7, that is one in five. One in five. There has been an intense push in this culture to legitimize all forms of sexual deviancy. After it was legitimized, what did they do? They started to laud it, to praise it. That's why tomorrow you have beginning so-called Pride Month. Just a couple of weeks ago, this was Google's homepage. So if you opened your computer and your web browser went to Google, that was their homepage. That's supposed to be celebrating some Native American transgender person. But there they are, flying the flag, lauded and praised for the sin that they're living in. So the world legitimizes it. Then they seek to laud it and praise it. And now what do they do? They seek to legislatively promote and protect all manner of sexual deviancy. They push it on kids. They even in many cases seek to prosecute the church. I found this article recently about a federal court in Indiana. Uh, they, they made this ruling, apparently. This was uh, April 10th, 2023. Federal court. There can be no misgendering uh, transgender students on religious grounds. Meaning federal courts have said, it doesn't matter what your sincerely held religious beliefs in are, you have to bow to this insanity. An Ohio school district, this was another story that came out recently, May 12th, 2023, federal lawsuit from Ohio school district for punishing kids for, quote, misgendering trans students while inside their own homes. So the school district punished these students for things that they supposedly said when they were in their own homes because it involved, quote, misgendering other students. Our culture has come a long way in a short time. 
And the reality is we cannot escape it. At this point in time, it is in our face everywhere we go. There was a recent ad that Kohl's put out where they have pride wear for infants as young as three months old. And then next to the pride wear for infants as young as three months, by the way, the date on that, May 28th, 2023, so uh, just, uh, just this past week, you have a supposed homosexual couple with their children. And that's Kohl's. You've seen it from Target. You've seen it from North Face. You've seen it from a multiplicity of other companies. But now these are not the displays that are sometimes found somewhere. These are the displays that are found at the front of the store. And so how do we respond? How do we as Christians and as a church push back against the tidal wave of perversity that we face? Are we even supposed to push back? How do we stay a pure church in a perverse culture? And how do we protect the innocence of our children in such an indecent culture? Here's my premise tonight. Big issues demand biblical instruction. Big issues demand biblical instruction. So we're going to look at this tonight together. Uh, we do see from 1 Corinthians here, we're going to look at some other passages in just a moment. So Roman numeral 1 tonight, if you're taking notes, I want us to start by looking together at the clear words of God. Now, I will tell you some things that I'm about to say. If you uh, have modern sensibilities, they will be hard for you to hear. But they are true. They are Bible truth. And I'm going to say I'm in love. So clear words of God. Let me start by saying God, God still desires all to be saved. Second yeah. Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 reminds us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's long-suffering to us word what? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what all still means? All still means all. And so regardless of the wickedness we see in our world, the reality is the heart of God still desires all to be saved. By the way, our commission hasn't changed. Our commission is to take the gospel of Christ to everyone, and that still means everyone. Mark 16, 15 reminds us that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Churches, we talk about this tonight. There are going to be some things that make us sad. There are going to be some things that make us mad. But I want you to never forget that God loved you when you were lost in sin. See Romans 5.8 if you need reminded on that. And I never want you to forget that God is still able to save to the uttermost all who come to him in faith. Hebrews 7 and verse number 25. That he is able to save them to the uttermost. Now, that being understood, what are the clear words of God on this matter? Well, simply this, sin must be called what it is, sin. Sin is sin is sin is sin. When we consider human sexuality, God has ordained clear, non-negotiable boundaries on human sex and sexuality. Regarding human sexuality, God created male and female and nothing else. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse number 6. 
Jesus here, uh, repeating the words from Genesis, but in the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Verse number 7. And for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. Regarding sexuality, church, God created male and female and nothing else. Regarding sex, God has determined that any and all sexual activity should only occur in the bounds of the marriage relationship. Regarding sex, God has determined that any and all sexual activity should only occur in bounds of the marriage relationship. And by the way, the term marriage has only one meaning. And that is the uniting of one naturally born man and one naturally born woman in a single exclusive union. The Bible tells us regarding that, Hebrews 13 and verse number 4, that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But look what it says, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And so when we talk about this, you need to understand that, yes, we're going to talk specifically tonight uh, a lot more pointed about things like uh, homosexuality and, and so-called transgender, gender dysphoria and things like that. But, but this includes any sexual activity outside of the balance of marriage. This includes adultery. This includes lust. This includes uh, pornography and all those different things. Anything outside of these God-ordained, non-negotiable boundaries is sin. Church, we have to understand that. That anything outside these God-ordained, non-negotiable boundaries is sin. Because here's what happens. Once we leave these boundaries, there is no end to the depravity that humanity is capable of. I'll show you the uh, findings of a recent report released by the United Nations. UN agencies say consensual sex with kids should be decriminalized in new report. I'm going to tell you, when we leave God-ordained boundaries... There is no end. By the way, the same things they told you about homosexuality 20, 30 years ago, they can't help it. They were born that way, are the same things they're talking about pedophiles now. In fact, you listen to the so-called experts, and the experts are coming out in force. This is what they say. They say we should no longer use the word pedophile because it has negative stereotypes. What we should do is we should simply consider them minor attracted persons. MAP, MAPS for for abbreviation. There's actually a term for it now. They're not pedophiles. That's a negative. So it's minor attracted persons. And then you have the old glorious UN. Their agencies publishing said reports. Church, once we leave God's boundaries... There is no end to the depravity that humanity is capable of. God's clear words. God is clear regarding sexuality. God is clear regarding sex. And so anything outside of that, let me be clear. The deeds that we're talking about tonight, the deeds themselves are wicked and sinful. The deeds are wicked and sinful. 
We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, he says, What? Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Fornicators, uh, that, that's people who engage in uh, sexual activity outside of marriage, any sort of sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Those are people who break the marriage covenant, nor effeminate. That specifically really speaks of a, of a grown man and a minor boy and the sexual activity that would occur between them, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, specifically speaking of uh, of homosexual activity between adults. What does it say in verse number 10? And it gives the list. He says, none of these people shall inherit the kingdom of God. It is wicked and sinful. It's wicked and sinful. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Wherefore God also gave them up. uh, I'm sorry, verse 24. We'll go through 27. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. These deeds are wicked and sinful. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Knowing this, that the law was not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. And then it lists some things out. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, homosexuality, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Church, the Bible is clear that the deeds of sexual deviancy are wicked and sinful. Now, there are some today that would argue, well, Paul's not talking about a consenting relationship between adults. Yes, he is. In fact, if you look at the Greek and Hebrew, Paul is basically wording it like God worded it in Leviticus 18.22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. God, Paul is using this, and if you understand the language, is really very directly addressing this. Paul is very clear in what he's talking about. Jude 7 reminds us this, even Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. These deeds, church, hear me, there's no wiggle room, there's no gray. These deeds are wicked and sinful. Now, I want you to know the Bible doesn't stop there. Not only are the deeds wicked and and, and sinful, the desires are wicked and sinful. The desires are wicked and sinful. You remember what we read in Romans chapter 1? What did God call it? He said, for this cause, God gave them over into what? What, 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 what? What word is used there? Vile affections. The desires themselves are vile. God gave them up 
unto vile, wicked, unholy affections. And so, church, it's not just the deeds that are wicked and sinful. The desires are wicked and sinful. You say, well, 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 well people can't help how they feel. Well, let me ask you, go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and beginning in verse 27. He said, have you not heard? It was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. What is it? The desires themselves are wicked and sinful. Would you be okay if I told you I had the desire for another man's wife? But don't worry, I'm not going to act on it. You know, I won't let myself go there. You'd say, no, that's crazy. That's wicked. That's perverse. But you see, what's happened is we, we, we have this. The world has told us there's an 11th commandment. And that's be kind. And so we sometimes soft pedal truth of God's word. Hear me, it's not just the deeds that are wicked and sinful, it is the desires. You know what, how many of us say, you know what, I have desires that are wicked and sinful. What, what do you do? You put them to death. You, you, you put your flesh to death. You say no to the flesh and you say yes to the spirit. That's what we do in this area and every other area. All forms of covetousness, lust, I tell myself no. I put the flesh to death. The deeds are wicked and sinful and the desires, the vile affections are wicked and sinful. Let me draw a couple of conclusions from this point. The church must be clear on the truth of God's word. And the church must Hold fast to the standard of God's word. And we cannot allow the culture to subtly deteriorate our understanding of or commitment to the clear truth of God's word. It's so subtle. Can I give you a couple of examples? The world will make the statement, love is love. What, what, and, 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 and from your modern sensibilities... Love, just any time you feel about love, it's just warm and fuzzy. Love is love is love is love is love. Can I tell you? Love is not love. God is love. You see, what happens when we get it backwards, we'll use our concept of love to define God. Well, because I understand love this way, that must mean God accepts or allows or likes or wants or desires. And so if I get it backwards, my concept of love is going to define God. But that's not what this is about. God is love. And so love doesn't define God. God defines love. And there is a huge difference. And since God doesn't change... True, acceptable love doesn't change either because God is love. It's so subtle. Subtle deterioration, a subtle infiltration of our understanding of or commitment to the clear truth of God's word. Love is not love. God is love. Let me give you another one. Terms like gay Christian are a lie. And it has to stop. Terms like gay Christian are a lie, and it has to stop. What do you mean? Well, first of all, 
being a Christian is the fundamental determining quality of my life. You know what the word Christian means? It means follower of Christ. It means like a little Christ. It means I, I, I am I, I'm modeling myself after him. That is the determining qualifier of my life. I am a follower of Christ. Amen? Now, we've already determined from God's word that both the deeds and the desires are sinful. Amen? So why in the world, why in the world would I put a sinful qualifier in front of the fact that I'm a follower of Christ? It's absurd. I would never do it with anything else. I'm a drunken Christian. I'm a murderer Christian. I'm a rapist Christian. We would never, never put a sinful modifier in front of the fact that I'm a follower of Christ. And let me, let me go so far as to say this. Practically no modifier should ever be needed. The fact that I am a Christian ought to be enough because it is the determining quality of my life. And if I'm truly following Christ, then I don't need to be known as an American Christian or a white Christian or a black Christian or a Baptist Christian or this or this or this or this. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And hear me, that's enough if we're doing that right. And so I know it's not kind to say, and I know I violate the 11th commandment, but somebody's got to stand on God's word. This nonsense of gay Christian is a lie, and it has got to stop. Either we are Christians or we are not. Really, to put any modifier in front of it only serves to demean and detract from what a Christian truly is. It's subtle. They subtly deteriorate our understanding and commitment. They subtly infiltrate our heart. Love is not love. God is love. Terms like gay Christian should never be used. And on that same line, let me say this. We as Christians should never entertain someone's, quote, preferred pronouns. Because to do so is to entertain a lie. By the way, all of these, and I could name many others, but we must keep moving tonight. All of these are subtle ways that many churches and Christians have tried to politely accommodate. And I feel like a lot of times the heart is not wrong in its intention to want to reach people because God desires all to be saved. Amen? God desires all to be saved. But what happens? We, we, we open ourselves up to politely accommodate. And what we're doing is, what are we doing? We are accommodating sin. This is not love. This is not love. You don't accommodate a cancer. You address it appropriately. To accommodate sin is to give the appearance of accepting sin. Can I even say this? To accommodate sin is to advance sin. As soon as we give in and we start using these terminologies and we allow these things to to be done and we get on board with these things, what are we doing? We are further normalizing that which is evil and wicked. And so I know the heart is to want to be kind, but it is not kind to anyone to further normalize evil. To accommodate sin is to advance sin. 
And praise God, we have the clear words of God on this matter. And we as the church must stay, must not move from thus saith the Lord. And so we have the clear words of God on the matter. But I want us to see another angle of this tonight. Not only the clear words of God on the matter, but I want us to see tonight the clear war against God in this matter. The clear war against God. Understand tonight that the nature of our relationship with the sexual sin of our culture is not a neutral one. The nature of our relationship with the sexual sin of our culture is not a neutral one. In other words, it's not that they have their thing and we have our thing and the two just don't affect the other. That's, that's not true. This is not some sort of neutral coexistence. This is not we each have our spheres of, of existence and influence. It's not a neutral one. I'll show you an article about Target. Target, Target this past month released, uh, they released their own line of transgender clothing with uh, tuck bathing suits and all sorts of things. So uh, Target is partnering, uh, and they, uh, the, they named the organization there in the, the, the subtitle, uh, and it's partnering with an organization that is working in schools um, to help schools uh, change their child's genders without parental consent. This, this is not Target has their display here and their display there. No, it, it's more than that. This relationship is not a neutral one. I don't know if you've seen Disney put out another live action movie, The Little Mermaid. Well, this was the New York Times take on The Little Mermaid. Disney's live action remake of The Little Mermaid with Halle Berry starring as Ariel and a diverse cast, look what they say, reeks of obligation and noble intention. Yeah, because noble intentions reek, right? Look what he says. He says, joy, fun, mystery, risk, flavor. What's that next word? Kink. They're missing. For those of you who don't know, kink is like sexual fetish and deviancy. So the New York Times has a problem because the Disney movie for kids lacks sexual fetishes. There's not enough sexuality in a movie about a little mermaid. Hear me. The nature of our relationship with the sexual sin of our culture is not a neutral one. From both a philosophical standpoint and a personal standpoint, sin and sinners have declared war on God and God's people. Philosophically, look at verses like James chapter 4. James says, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Notice what he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In other words, the world and God do not have a neutral relationship. The world is at war with God. And when we align ourselves with the world, what are we doing? We are aligning ourselves to be at war with God. 1 John chapter number 2 gives us some other verses about how if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. It is an either or kind of thing. And so philosophically, sin and sinners have declared war on God. 
But personally, I want you to know the sexual deviancy of our culture has declared war on your soul. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, we see this. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which what? Which war against the soul. Why, why, do we, why do we have to properly address this relationship? Because it's not just that we do our thing and they do their thing. No, the sexual deviancy of the world, it will, well, it will wage war against your soul. We understand this, and our flesh is often complicit. Galatians 5 and verse 17, we see the flesh and the spirit. They lust, they battle, they're contrary one to the other. They're constantly fighting. Uh, see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 18. Look what he says here. He says, flee fornication. Again, fornication is any kind of sexual immorality. He says, run from it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication, look what it says. It says, sinneth against his own body. Both philosophically and personally, sin and sinners have declared war on God and God's people. I remind you tonight, though, that sex and sexuality has always been a prime battlefront in the battle of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. In the battle of light versus darkness. In the battle of the church versus the culture. You know, four generations into humanity, we find what happens in Genesis 4 and verse number 19. Four generations in, this dude took him two wives. By the way, just another chapter and a half after that, in Genesis 6 and verse number 5, what do we find? That every imagination of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil Continually. By the way, almost every New Testament book talks about the biblical sexual ethic in some regard. Why does the Bible talk about it over and over and over and over and over again? Because it all it has always been an issue for humanity. The concept of who cares because it doesn't affect me has always been a lie. Sin always taints, destroys everything it touches. When we consider our relationship and our interaction with the sexual sin and the sex cult of our culture, our relationship is not a neutral one. This is spiritual warfare. By the way, found another interesting headline about the Target transgender clones. This is spiritual warfare. This is what is openly taking place in our society. It's been legitimized. It's being lauded. And it's being legislated right before our eyes. And I'm going to make this statement. You may not want the fight, but the assault is happening whether you acknowledge it or not. You may not want the fight, but the assault is happening whether you acknowledge it or not. And they're not just coming after you. They are coming after your children and your grandchildren. Cartoon Network posted this tweet 
on Trans Day of Awareness or something like that. So Cartoon Network is the network for cartoons. Who do you think that's geared towards? The tweet says, addressing someone using their pronouns and names, show that you respect them as their authentic self. Heart emoji. We celebrate the journey of our trans and gender non-conforming friends on this day. Then they had a whole little video that the kids could click on and watch. Indiana, the next state over, uh, this article came out uh, a couple of days ago, May 25th. Indiana Pride is holding a youth carnival next month for kids 12 to 20. Parents are not allowed to attend. This is in Indiana. We're not talking about California. We're not talking about some faraway place. You'll notice there on the bottom of the thing, parents will be invited to participate in other activities off-site. You may not want the fight, but the assault is happening whether you acknowledge it or not. They are waging spiritual warfare. And we have got to be clear on that. So how do we stay a pure church in a perverse culture? Number one, we need to be clear on the words of God. Number two, we need to be clear on the war against God. But man, I tell you, number three, we need some clear wisdom from God. We need some clear wisdom from God. Evan, I don't think I gave you this verse, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, if we could. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. I'll get it on the screen for us. There Paul writes, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Hear me, church. The days are evil. And we must redeem the time. And if we are going to redeem the time, we have got to walk circumspectly. So circumspectly, I always give the analogy, is how, how you walk circumspectly is how you walk if there's a big dog that lives in the backyard. You walk carefully. Because if you're not careful, you're going to end up in a stanky mess. And hear me, church, if we don't walk in wisdom from God, you're going to end up in a mess. Or your kids are going to end up in a mess. So what do we need to do? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, diligently guard our hearts and our homes. What do we need to do? We need to diligently guard our hearts and our homes. We need to guard against unnecessary, unmonitored exposure to things. Here's the thing. It's everywhere. It's at Kohl's. It's at Target. It's in the commercials. It's on the cartoons. We'll get to that in a second. You realize sexual deviancy is a regular part of preschool shows today? They have drag queens on Elmo. And on Blue's Clues. They have gay teachers on Arthur. They have gender non-conforming transformers now. Yes, the little transformers you used to play with. There's one now that they, they use they, them pronouns. Transformers! 
Anyways. <laughs> Do we even need to get into Disney? <laughs> and as one of their executives publicly stated, their, quote, not-so-secretly gay agenda. You see, it used to be when I was growing up that there were things that were relatively safe. And you could put the kid in front of the show for 15 minutes and you could reasonably expect the kid to be fine. Hear me, that is not the case anymore. Because the show is polluted, the ads and promos they put in between them are polluted, the public messages that they promote throughout it are polluted. Every aspect of these things is regularly polluted. And so what do you do? You have to guard against unnecessary, unmonitored exposure to things. You know what? I can't protect from everything, but I can certainly make the decision not to set my kid in front of a screen and walk away. Because we are exposed to it everywhere. The stores, the amusement park, even the doctor's office. Let me give you this. Know what your kid is being taught in school. Especially if your kid goes to public school. By the way, no matter where your kid goes to school, you are the primary discipler of that kid. And so you you ought to know what they're being taught regardless. But hear me, there is so much filth in the name of public education. I, I didn't look up Mr. on that. I'll leave that to your imagination, or you can look it up on your own. But guard against unnecessary, unmonitored exposure to things. Know what your kid is being taught. Know what's coming into your home. Can we talk about the internet for a minute? Treat the internet. Thank you, John Pocock. Like a power tool. Can I have a volunteer? Well, Jesus said if your right hand offends you, cut it off. So, no. Very well. The Internet's a powerful thing. You know, the Internet can do a lot of good. Much to Facebook's chagrin, I think we're still on Facebook tonight. Woohoo! It's a powerful thing. You can do a lot of good on the Internet, but, but, but I'm going to tell you, it can go sideways real quick. But the problem is we don't treat the Internet like a power tool. We treat the Internet like a game. Let me ask you. What would you think if I gave this to your kid and told them to entertain themselves and and walked away? See, I think sometimes we underestimate the depravity of the Internet. Statistics tell us that 35% of all downloads are pornographic. Last year, pornography... The pornography industry made more money than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. You see, we treat it, we treat it like a toy, but it can go sideways. Did you know that the stats for last year, the top 25 most visited sites on the web, you know, it starts out like Google, Yahoo, uh, you know, Bing. Does anybody use Bing? I don't know. There's a couple of Chinese sites. There's a lot of Chinese people. Um, but of the top 20, that's, it's true. There's a lot of Chinese people in the world. <sighs> the top 25 sites, number 10, number 12, and number 13. 
are pornography sites. Of the most visited sites on the internet last year. Depending on what survey you read, 75 to 94 percent admit to seeing pornography by age 17. 54 percent admit to seeing it before 13. 15 percent admit to have seen it by age 10 or younger. Statistics are pretty, pretty across the board. The average age of first exposure to pornography on the internet is somewhere between the age of 11 and 12. You see, it's all fun and games, except people are getting hurt by the millions. And we underestimate the depravity that is on the internet. And, you know, we become desensitized to it through little games. You know, what, do you, what, what happens? Your kids see you sit down and play your Candy Crush or your uh, Hoppy Frog or whatever you're playing on your phone or building your armies and attacking other people. And they, they see you sit down and they see you having fun. And here's the thing. The kid can't differentiate between the fun they see you having and the danger that lies on the other side. And so we, we have desensitized ourselves and unintentionally we have desensitized our children. And then we hand them a power tool and we expect nothing to go wrong. And the problem is that the internet itself is designed to take advantage of the innocence, curiosity, and familiarity of our kids. You know, I read you those statistics. Somewhere between 74, 75 and 94% of teenagers admit to seeing pornography by the age of 17. Somewhere between 50 and 60% say that their first exposure was unintentional. Meaning they didn't have to go looking for it because it was designed to go look for them. Here's the, the jarring reality is this. If you do not guard your heart, and if you do not guard your home, the odds are strong that you will fall. You are not the exception to the rule. Your children are not the exception to the rule. Now, here's what I'm not going to do tonight. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you all the ins and outs of what you have to do and what you have to have and where you have to go and yada, yada, yada. That's, 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 not, that's not for me. But here's what I am telling you as pastor. What you do have to do, according to God's word, is wake up and guard your heart and your home like it's under assault because it is. I'm going to tell you, if I walked by your home waving a loaded pistol every day, yelling threats, you would act differently when I was around. And I'm going to make this statement. If you can't guard it, you shouldn't have it. Well, I don't know how to guard the, I don't know how to guard the, then you shouldn't have it. Well, I don't know how to guard my, my, my smartphone, then you shouldn't have it. Hear me, this is too big of a deal. If you can't guard it, you shouldn't have it. Or we need to what? We need to wake up and we need to grow up and we need to figure it out. 
Because if you can learn to play all the little games on your phone and you can learn to do social media on your phone, you can learn to guard your heart and guard your home. You can. I'm going to tell you, a lot of times it's going to involve some sort of assistance, some form of accountability, some form of help. But you are called by God to diligently guard your heart and your home. Let me give you one other thought tonight. Not only are we called to diligently guard our hearts and our homes, and this is for parents and grandparents among us tonight, the Bible also calls us to diligently not just guard their hearts, but to guide their hearts. We're called not just to guard their hearts, we are called to guide their hearts. You have to take the initiative. You have to take the lead and ground your children in age-appropriate truth. You do. You have to take the lead and open the door for conversation. I'll make this statement. They're going to ask their questions to someone. And they know whether or not they can come to you. They know whether or not you've blown them off, whether or not you have, have cutely dismissed their questions or concerned, whether or not you have just kind of pushed them aside for another. They know whether or not they can come to you. And if they can't come to you, they're going to come to somebody. I'll give you this one last graphic. An article recently, Google searches on sexuality and am I gay or whatever. You can notice their chart there of people doing Google searches. In fact, you run the numbers and the article from, uh, uh, go ahead and show the next slide, the article from The Hill uh, says the am I gay related Google searches have soared uh, more than 1,300% because they're going to ask someone. They're going to ask their little friend. They're going to ask their teacher. They're going to ask Google. Talking to one of my kids recently, and they said, well, Dad, I already knew those things. And the reality is, they're ready to talk about these things before you are. So sometimes when I say age-appropriate truth, we have in our head, well, when they turn 16, maybe we'll begin to let them know that boys and girls are different. And... um, Church, what I'm saying is, if we don't equip them, if we don't guide them, if we don't help them, there are many, many, many people in this world who would be glad to do it for you. And it's going to come earlier than you want it to come. And it's going to be probably more specific than you want it to be. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to be bring up some insecurities. And it's going to be not pleasant. But here's the thing. Parents, somebody's got to be the adult. Somebody's got to be grown up enough to get over their own insecurities and to get over their own discomforts and to talk with their kids. If you make it uncomfortable, they're going to be uncomfortable. And so even though it is uncomfortable, 
you have to make it not uncomfortable. Because you want to create an environment where when they have more questions or concerns, they're not running to Billy or Sue. They're running to you. They're not running to Google. They're coming to mom or dad. If you don't do it, the world will. And by the way, there are resources out there to help you talk with your kids about these things, to help you talk with your kids about the difference between good pictures and bad pictures, to help you uh, prepare your kids for, uh, for, for, for puberty and boys and girls and things out there written from a Christian perspective that can be a help to you as you are a help to your kids. And uh, I can help connect you with things that I have come across if you ask. But diligently guide their hearts. Can I give you one other thought here? Not just make sure you take the initiative. I can't stress that enough. You take the initiative. You take the initiative. It shouldn't be on your kids. You take the initiative. But parents, more than that, you also have to be ready to receive your kids and be willing to help restore your kids if they struggle, stumble, or fall. You look at the statistics, 74, 75, sorry, 95% of teenagers admit that by the time they turned 17, they had seen pornography. The old school reaction to somebody being caught looking at pornography, you did what? I'm going to wring your neck. I'm going to tan your hide, boy, girl. Because the, the fastest growing demographic of people looking at pornography is girls these days. I'm going to... And we, we yell and scream and throw things and beat them and demean them. And here's the thing. If they're coming to you, it's probably because they're already broken and guilt-ridden and full of shame over the sin they've done. And you know what we don't do? We don't minimize the sin. We don't sweep it under the rug. But the reality is somebody, somebody, somebody in the spirit of Galatians 6 has got to be ready to receive and help restore somebody who wants to be restored. And that means, moms and dads, some of us are going to have to fight every instinct in our bodies. Yes. Guide them. Guide them when they're young. Guide them when they're older. Guide them when they're doing well. Guide them when they've fallen. Guide them to truth. John 8, 32, Jesus said this, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. At the end of the day, church, guide them to Jesus. Diligently guard their hearts. Diligently guard your home. I'm not telling you what that is, but mamas and daddies, boy, you better grab a hold of it and you better figure out what it is for you. You better diligently guide their hearts. I want you to know on this matter, God said it, and that settles it. And so in God's word, we must stand. And tonight, you know, as we move to the time of invitation, there may be some things in our lives that we need to ask God to give us wisdom on. Maybe some of us have been playing around with a power tool. I, it, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. Maybe some of us tonight have been playing around with a power tool, and we need to ask God for wisdom to do some things differently. Maybe tonight we've been putting off a conversation that we should have had a long time ago. Maybe tonight 
we understand that some of our kids are struggling and we have to prepare ourselves to be ready to receive and restore them when they come back. But I wonder tonight if whatever specific things God has laid on your heart, that we would also pray that God would give us grace to stand as a church. God, give us grace to stand unapologetically for the truth. God, give us grace to stand as a beacon of God's mercy to all who will repent and turn to him in faith. You know what? We may need to start praying now that God give us grace to endure the loss. You realize people get sued all over the world. You realize some pastors in what we would call civilized countries have been put in jail for less than what I said tonight. So maybe tonight we have to pray and start asking God to give us grace to suffer the loss, to suffer the shaming, the ridicule, the abuse that may occur because we will stand on God's word. Maybe tonight we need to pray that God gives us grace to stand without fear, that God gives us grace to guard like we should, to guide like we should. Whether we want it or not, we have got to face this challenge.